I mean, I think if you're a business person coming in, oh, look, I'd love to start an animation company. Very hard for them to survive because it takes so it takes so long to get a foot in and to get known that you just have to be passionate about what you're doing. Because I think um, we notice that the most of the creatively driven uh, studios that are around the world making films are the more successful ones. I would say are ones that were started by creators yes. who have a desire to tell stories and make things. That's the whole point. The architects of business on Joe in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Telling the inspirational stories behind Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Architects of Business on Joe in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year, where you will hear the inspirational stories behind some of Ireland's leading entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Sonia Lennon, and today I'll be talking with Paul Young, the founder and CEO of Kilkenny-based studio, Cartoon Saloon. This animation studio is three times Academy Award, BAFTA, Golden Globe and Emmy nominated. And along with his co-founders, Tom Moore and Nora Toomey, Paul has brought to life his dream of being a full-time illustrator. Paul Young, Cartoon Saloon, you are very welcome to the studio. I absolutely love your company. I love the work it does and I'm not alone. It has been a phenomenal success. I would love to know what led you to this path and I think it started very early on. It really is as simple as the love of drawing, am I right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I was um, in school, I did a lot of drawing, yeah. And uh, I did a lot of drawing in my copybooks and there was no real art class in in school, but I drew a lot just looking at the exercise books. Some of them had fantastic illustrators in them, you know, some yeah. great, uh, the French books in particular, I think Salou had a great cartoonist called Nono. And then uh, uh, my brother came back from Australia with a bunch of Calvin and Hobbes collections and Farside. And so I, I really wanted to be a cartoonist first. So I, I studied a lot of draw, uh, artists and illustrators and uh, went to like, when I was in St. Mary's in Boyle, I had to go down to the convent with a friend of mine every for two classes a week to um, to do two an hour an hour of art. So then, so did that for the leaving. So search. there was no art class available in the, no, in not the at secondary the time, school. Not 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 in the boys' school. There was mechanical drawing, which is which is good. Um, so my choices on the CAO were pretty much. I thought architecture that involved drawing, so I put down architecture, and then I discovered art colleges in, um, in Belfast and Dublin and stuff like that. So I applied for a few art colleges. Um, so I did the Leaving Cert and then went up to Belfast and studied illustration and combined studies of art and design, which was a mixture of doing a bit of ceramics. Uh, it was really, I did a foundation uh -huh. and then a degree in combined studies of art and design, which is a little, a little slightly faffy because <laughs> <laughs> it was neither, it was a little bit an extent, so it was, but what was lovely about it was there was an awful lot of uh, film study within that course. So you could write a lot in that course. So there was a lot of critical thinking as we spoke a little yes. bit earlier. So there was critical thinking about film and art. So we had to write a lot actually of essays and combined studies around design. So I wrote always about film music or film and then uh, practically was drawing a lot. So I did illustration. So this nice, so wound up, the animation is kind of a nice combination of film studies and art and animation. So the faff yeah. suited you in the end? Yeah, it did really, yeah. And it also allowed you to create your own course in a way because combined studies was like you could go to any department in the college and do a bit here and there. So I discovered people like 
Ralph Steadman and Jules Pfeiffer, all these great cartoonists, New Yorker cartoonists, who were great drawers, but with, like, with one drawing could tell a very interesting story, just like one panel or a few panels. And then obviously animation was a larger extension of that. Um, so I was able to then do ceramics for bits, and I also did some printmaking. So you could kind of make your own course. And then the last two years, I've sort of focused on illustration and, and uh, film, film studies. And I know, certainly from, from my point of view, when I, when, I remember when I had those moments when I was a kid and I, was, I got really excited by what other people were doing and inspired. And that, you're just on fire with this notion that this stuff is happening on the outside world. Was it a little bit like that for you? Yeah, well, I didn't even really realise that there was a, a, you could sort of do animation even even at that time, I I went out. I really wanted to. I I knew people drew, but I knew it was a tough life to be an illustrator. I think, uh, and I tried it. I went to Brighton and I went to to uh, Edinburgh for a while, visiting my brothers really. And I I lived in Greece for a while, and I did caricatures in the street with these kind of these uh, couple of Ukrainian guys one summer, which was awesome. It was the first time I ever earned money drawing because they would do these portraits of people on the beaches. Yeah. And they would take about 15 minutes doing a portrait and I would sketch the people watching them, like kind of caricatures of the people watching them and sell them for a five or a pop, which was great. Oh, my and goodness. And I had buddies working in bars and restaurants who couldn't make that in a night. So I was earning more than my friends working in the restaurants just doing drawing the street. So I thought, gosh, you know, you can make money and, drawing. And were these guys... Uh, was this the, when I was young now. Uh, no, 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 I get it. But w was this... Did that grow organically or were you working well, I was, with them? I was working in a Slovakia shop across the road. This is like over like a few months. This is like a long summer holiday when I first realised, oh, I can make money drawing, right? So I was working in a, in a kebab. We first arrived supposedly having work. A friend of mine, Kevin, who did an Erasmus scheme in Greece, had lined up all this work for us. Poor old Kevin. And uh, we arrived. We Are you arrived. still friends with Kevin? Yeah, oh, yeah. He's one of my best friends. I saw, I saw him only the other day. He, 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 uh, he had lined up working a bar for us in Greece. We all, the three of us, four of us went over and thought this is great. We arrived there and your man says, work? We have no work. And, and so we were like stuck. None of us said any work. And so and we were at a place called uh, Paros. Yeah. And... Uh, so what we decided was myself and Gavin and Kevin went back to the apartment and Martin and we made sandwiches because we knew all the English tourists and the British tourists were going to be coming out of the nightclubs and there was very few places to eat. There was one place I think had a deal with the police that he could open up late. So we sold sandwiches for the first night because we really didn't have much cash uh, while for our for our a long summer in Greece, so we saw sandwiches. Thought this worked out great, and then the police shut us down. We were like, got in trouble. So then, how many uh, nights did the sandwiches last? Then for? It was two nights, and then we got shut down. I it, love that story. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and then uh, I just, myself and Martin started working in a Slovakia shop. Uh, Gavin, I think, worked in this. Uh, we started working in a restaurant and Kevin as well. And I saw these guys across the street from this Slovakia shop, which weren't wearing much money. And poor, that guy who ran the Slovakia shop, he also got shut down the, by the police because the police were paid off by the guy up the road. So it was tragic. So he hired the two of us and I felt sorry for him because he, he now he was getting shut down, like told to, to, to close early before all the revelers came out. So I tried to say, I says, look, I can try my hand across the road with these Ukrainian guys drawing. And look, you don't need to worry about paying me anymore. I think his name was Papas. Papas was what we called him. So I went across the road to the Ukrainian guys and I discovered I could earn so much more money drawn directly, directly to the tourists 
So anyway, that was my first uh, foray into business and so, art. Wait, 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 wait. So I, I need to know about the negotiation with the Ukrainians. First of all, they must oh, yeah. have been worried that you were coming in on their patch. Oh, no, no, not at all, because I was complimentary. You see, so I went next to them and I drew one of them first. I says, how do you like my uh, drawing of you? He says, oh, that's a very good caricature. And he did a quick drawing of me and says, do you mind if I sit with you guys? Because they had lights and the whole shebang. They were doing this. They did this all year and went back to the Ukraine and lived off the proceeds of their summer in Greece, you know, which was, that's what they did. So they did really beautiful portraits. Like they took a long time. They'd have kids would sit down, their parents and do these lovely portraits, like with uh, lovely drawings. Um, um, but I would do like just a marker. A snapshot. Just a marker and might draw the dad watching the kid being drawn. And then I'd say, do you want this too? So they, they, I drew more people and they drew people. So I would do the people who want the caricatures. And, they, and sometimes the guy getting the caricature or the portrait wanted then a quick caricature and vice versa. So it worked out. And, uh, so, Perfect so, symbiosis. Yeah, yeah, good symbiosis. So I wasn't trying to do portraits like the two guys. I was doing very much caricatures. Um, so yeah, that that was my first uh, business for it, and then and then um, and then after that, I decided we were. Uh, that's I might have been during um, my time in Belfast. It was one of those summers, you know, when you go off for yeah. the summer, and then I went to try to do illustration in Brighton, and, and but I wound up working in a cinema most of the time. Okay, so I worked as an usher, and then. My dad again with the movies. Yeah, with movies it was good. So I watched a lot of movies. And while I was in Belfast, I had friends who um, worked in the QFT, and so I had three friends there, and they were allowed three like three guests mm -hmm. or a guest in every week. So I was able to go three times a week. So I would go for free, and I'd see every kind of movie that was coming out um, for uh, like three times a week. I would do that for about a year, two years. I was going in there all the time, most like uh, uh, into the cinema. So I saw, I consumed a lot of film. And you mustn't have even realised the impact of that at the time. Yeah, I think it taught me a lot. Yeah, yeah. It did, taught, did teach me a lot. And it taught me a lot about music and picture and sound and picture, I think, because I saw so many. And it was the movies that were shown on the QFT were the ones that you wouldn't, they were like... Art house. Yeah. And, you know, I think Res I saw Reservoir Dogs in there before it was push, pushed out wider. Or it was Man Bites Dog. It's a tough movie. I wouldn't recommend sure it for is. everybody. Uh, but, you know, random stuff like that. And just anything that was going to be there that was interesting. Yeah. And, like, wow. really different ones. Like, uh, a lot of really beautiful uh, French movies. and So a difference between extreme and, and just art house. And then, obviously, I loved the big tentpole pictures as well, which I'd go to in the other cinema. So I tried to mix it up, obviously. But uh, very hard. Nowadays, you can, actually, it's a funny thing because I think nowadays, at least cinemas curated what you're reviewing. Nowadays, you kind of, it's almost like option paralysis. Is that a term? I think Einstein said. Einstein wore the same clothes all the time because he didn't want that option paralysis. Do you know that? Yeah. And with Netflix and Amazon, there's a bit of that. You go onto your Netflix and there's just too many things and you wind up spending half an hour trying to find something. You give up sometimes. Yeah. So that's why uh, Steve Jobs and Einstein always wore the same clothes because they wanted to avoid too many options and they didn't want to have to make too many decisions in their day. So that is with clothes. If, if, you, if you use your brain power to make those decisions, you're actually taking away the ability to use it for more important stuff sometimes, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. um, Sorry, I didn't have a ramble. Not there, at you? all. There is no rambling. <laughs> there is no rambling. This is, this is a dive in. This yes, is your world. Yes. Mm -hmm. So... Bally Farmet. Yeah, 
Yeah. When did that kick in? So that my dad, when I was over in Brighton trying to do the illustration and working in the cinema and I was hanging out with my brother and his his just married wife, annoying them by spending too long oh, in their say. house. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I no uh, disrespect on yeah, your character no, no, or anything, but, but I, I I was knew what my time was. <laughs> I needed to go. Uh, so uh, Bally Firm, my dad said, "Look, all these people are being employed by Disney. Are hiring all these people from this animation school in Bally Firm." So I I went I I sorted out, and by this time I'm in my mid. I've already been I had a degree, so I decided to go. So I decided to go to Bally Firm and learn animation because I thought at least nine to five I could be drawn for a living in a studio like Disney in Paris or somewhere else or. There was at the time a couple of studios in Dublin. There was Turglyph, there was mm -hmm. Brown Bag had started out mm -hmm. of Ballyfermot as well about five years before us. So I thought, oh, there's, maybe there's options in the animation. But by the time myself, Tom and Nora, I met Tom there and Nora, when we were finishing up, all those jobs were kind of gone. That's, right. That hiring spree had gone. And the only options were to go into computer games. I think it was Tomb Raider had been out maybe that year, the year before. So computer games were booming this new kind of CGI, high-tech, like Sony PlayStation. Some new, some new consoles were doing really interesting computer games. So a lot of animators were going off to work in UK in computer games, and uh, we weren't that interested in that. So I met Tom um, in Bali f by, because I was doing the odd bit of job, and so was Tom. Tom had a young child at the moment with Lee Slot. So he was like, a, he was, he had a, he had, I think that was like, we always talk about it with Tom, but I think it really focused him he having a child very early on. So he was working while in college, very determined to be an animator. He really wanted to be an excellent, and he was a really brilliant animator. He, he, he improved so much even in, over the years in the saloon. He first of all wanted to be a really good animator. That was his focus. Whereas my, I wasn't that bothered about being an animator. I was more interested in film in general. And Nora was also trained to be a really good animator and wanted to be a director eventually and all that. So. Uh, so uh, I, we, we wound up getting a job. I was afraid to take on myself. I met Tom at a party in my house one time. He just came along and there was a, we had a big party in my house with friends from Boyle. And I think we this had is a, before Ballyfermot? This is at, during Ballyfermot. Okay, okay. I lived with some friends of mine from, from home in, in Boyle in Dublin. And we had, a, we had a big party one time and Tom came along. We started chatting. Um, and uh, I was worried about this job, not being able to take on the CD-ROM. I was doing the illustration bits. And my brother-in-law introduced me to a guy. And, uh, and Tom says, no, 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 let's take it on. I can do the animation bits. And sure, we're surrounded by animators. We could, so we just roped in our classmates to finish the job at night. So we started to do CD-ROMs and then like website, web design stuff. Yeah. Do you remember the original internet yeah. boom where people paid for... Uh, well, there were no templates. Cards. There was like, yeah, yeah, there was like you would buy a birthday card and send it to your yeah. your mother or, or your your cousin in America, and so we were, we we started the business doing that kind of stuff. So by the time we all graduated, Tom had this idea with Aidan, a friend of his from Kilkenny as well, for making a film about the secret the book of Kells. Not quite sure what it was going to be. It was quite the the story yet, but we did hear that it would take you a very long time to make a film. So he says. It's taken an average of seven years to get a film off the ground. So we may as well start now. So that's how we start. So we went down to Kilkenny with some uh, free space from uh, 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 the Young Irish filmmakers, Mike Kelly down there, offered us like this floor above, which is in an old orphanage in Kilkenny. Um, and so we went there, we had free space for the summer and we got started and we started doing these e-cards and so reaching out. And I happened to be the only one that was, I had to be the one, one sitting in front of the one computer and phone. So I sort of became the 
the boss. No, the traveling salesman, really. Really? Yeah. So myself and uh, Tom were sole traders at the time. And then, so that was like 1999. Yeah. Yeah. And where did Nora come into the equation? Nora, actually, actually, I I tell a lie, that wasn't my first foray into animation because in my second year, I met Cahal Gaffney at a pub as well, who owns Brownback, Mm -hmm. also an EOI member, actually, uh, finalist. And... uh, he, uh, I met him through an Apple guy uh, who was a, a second cousin from Cork who was selling, trying to sell Cahill Apple products. And he says, you should come along and meet this guy. He does animation. I didn't know about it. And uh, so I met him. I cycled out to the pub as well and chatted to Cahill. And uh, I says, geez, I've got a big portfolio of loads of char- characters. I think, I think there's a story, a storyboard I've done that might make a good um, late night comedy for somewhere. So he's all come in the next day. So we actually cycled home together. And I went into Carl the next day and I showed him um, this comic strip I'd done uh, about these two guys ta- in a bar chatting called Barstool. It became Barstool, uh, sort of Chinese whispers. And then so Carl went out and, and managed to sell that to Atlas TV, which went on Atlas TV, which was a late night yes. show back in the day. So it was like a black and white. I remember it. Black and white about two guys, and one guy just kept talking about his life as a as the guy who made the moving statues and yeah. Chinese whispers, as drunk guys might say in a bar. So that was a very small concept. So I that, I was a creator of that. So I would do the backgrounds. So I was frantically every week while in college, working with Tom, and I would draw the backgrounds to the to the uh, show. And Nora, who I to Tom knew because she lived above him in Dublin, also, but she was a year ahead of me, I think. I think she was a year ahead of me, Nora, at the time. She had just got a job in Brown Bag as an animator too. So we start, got to know each other there, but she was good friends with Tom. So Tom said, when, Tom's, when Tom graduated, because he repeated, he, he passed very well his course. This is how dedicated Tom was to be an animator. He decided to repeat the final year because he didn't think he was good enough. Even so he though he got it. Do, he had got it fine and he'd done great. But he says, I, I don't think I, I want to do crack at the, at the final year again because he wanted to do more, a better short film. So anyway, by the time I was graduating at the same time as Tom then, so um, so we all moved to Kilkenny, Nora as well and her husband and a few other, but, but maybe 12 of us from that course to try and make Secret of Kells, which would become the Secret of Kells, and at the same time being subsidised by these e-cards and a little bit of CD-ROM work. So, so, sort of so that, was that was the genesis. Bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, and then uh, we we went on then to finally raise some money for the Secret Cows, which is like a big. We had no idea how to do that, but we got advice from certain people, like Jerry, who's now our my Jerry Sheeran, who's now our managing director. I remember that was a nice story too, because uh, we went into Jerry uh, and asked his advice. We want to make this film. He had, was the only one making features in Ireland. He had done a co-production with Denmark on a on a film called Help I'm a Fish. Uh, which was a 2D film which was created, I think, in Denmark. But Jerry used to work in Sullivan Bluth. And when Sullivan Bluth closed down, Jerry and Russell Boland, who's now on Google, set up came this... Together. Came together. to create movies. Well, actually, because this, this, this is the beginning of everything mm. then. So, so let's take a moment, yes. take a break, and come back and dive right in. OK. The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year, Telling the inspirational stories behind Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. So, Paul, the beginning had started. You were literally at the beginning of the beginning. Yourself, Tom and Nora. And a brilliant idea. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, uh, it, was a, it was a few of us too. And, but uh, I think 
uh, ultimately we, we had this ambition to be very like this is like a this is like a flat structure. This is everybody together in a very, um, you know, socialist structure. <laughs> we're all going to, we're like a co-op. Yeah. But uh, we realised, you know, we really needed to have a couple of people who were going to be looking after this and strategising for a number of years. So we formed a limited company um, initially between myself and Tom and then brought in um, a couple of people on the way who, like Nora and then Ross Murray, who's a friend of ours, but he's moved, he went, moved to France and stuff. So a few people. So the core now is pretty much myself, uh, um, Nora, Tom and Jerry as a managing director who we hired later. So that's, yeah, we started, we started the business then in properly 1999, I think. That's a lot of people at the top. Yeah, it is actually. Yeah, yeah. It was, and it was at originally just myself and Tom and then Nora. So we did have this kind of wider board. Um, and, and, you know, over the years, we sort of found our feet. Um, I stopped doing so much illustration because there's so many other people in there that could do it well. And each person in the crew, um, we had great help from a, a friend from Boyle, Desi McLaughlin, who, who sped us up a bit because he, he fitted, kitted us out with computers and signed the the lease for our computers. He was a friend of my dad's. And um, he helped us fast track a bit by getting everybody a computer to make these e-cards. So and he, he was at the he, top He, he became a guarantor for, I think, like a lease of like 50,000 or something or 25,000. And he helped, he helped us get that um, loan from the bank to get these kit of stuff. So he kit out the computers then because he's got a computer company in, in, in a Trojan in, in a Boyle. And was that on an equity basis or...? or no, not at all. Not Business at all. Angel, just helping out. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, just helped out. And he would come down and help out in, uh, in ways. And then um, I found myself uh, doing more uh, the uh, as a producer. I became a very reluctant producer. I didn't even know that meant uh, initially. But it was advice from Jerry. He says, you need to go over and if we, when you make, when we, we, we found some money from Screen Ireland, which was a great body for getting development money. So we had Nora done a short film and so had Tom. So they became kind of directors. I became more a producer. And so I found myself travelling a lot to festivals to mm. try and find out how, who do we work with? How do we raise, how do we raise, you know, six million euro to make an animated feature that's going to take us two years? Or how much will it cost even? Um, it must have been how much will it cost and how long will it take yeah, at that stage? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, even just doing budgets, we kind of could do budgets for small things, but even doing a budget for a feature film was was difficult. So I met with people like Jerry and other people in the industry. Not many people were doing feature films. So we went to, uh, our big one of our big, big movements was we went to uh, Berlin. Jerry says, you need to go to Cartoon Movie. There's a new... It was like a forum for pitching feature films among European producers and distributors. So run by Cartoon, which is an organisation around Europe, which is funded by Media, Creative Europe. Um, you'd go there and you'd have 40 minutes to pitch your film in front of a group of people. Now, there might be another room that's in competition with you. So in the morning and in, in the breakfast, they show a trailer. And then you, you, if you can get, and then you try to get with your little trailer, teaser trailer that everybody watches your while sizzler. they're having croissants, uh, your sizzler, you might get people into your room. Now, unfortunately, there was a finished film, a French movie, which was in competition with us. So nearly all the French people who had all the money, well, the France has a great budgets for movies because they have a great system there for paying Given independent movie makers back their money off ticket sales from the cinema. Fantastic! Another long story. Yeah, another long story. But uh, they, they, so a lot of people were involved in that, so they were at that. But I did manage to meet on the bus on the way in, and I thought, "Gosh, this was clever of me, Paul." And when I came back, Tom said, "Good producing." <laughs> so 
But uh, I, I felt, oh, I'm not so bad at this. I wasn't afraid of talking to people because uh, when I was when I was big enough stuff that Tom did in Lord, it's not like trying to blow. It's not trying to blow your own trumpet. It's, it's you're easier. blowing other people's. And I do know, as an artist, I know what is good, and I know that what they're doing is really good. So, and what we had done was really quite. I thought it was pretty impressive what we had done as a trailer, which we we got uh, we got we spent a long time on. Uh, it was just like a five minute thing. We managed to get Brendan Gleeson to do a voiceover on it. I met him at Galway uh, just randomly as well. I showed him, uh, that was another big break for us was like I showed him his character from a little book. I managed to see you him. You knew it was him? I knew he was going to be speaking at, we knew we wanted him for the role. I knew he was going to be speaking at Galway. It was right around the time he was doing, um, he just finished AI, I think, uh, um, and Gangs in New York. Yeah was about to come up, he was about to do... Hot property. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so he was, so he did a great Q&A in, in, uh, in Galway. So I met him afterwards and I showed him, and he says, oh, that looks class, you're doing... And I said, certainly I'll do it. And he gave his agent's number. And I did ring the agent, I probably didn't persist uh, enough. But randomly, he rang up one morning, and he said, he rang me up in the morning, about seven o'clock in the morning, he says, whatever happened to that animation? And I said, because, funny, Garland being so small, my, our neighbour in Boyle played music with, with him in Boyle. And I think my dad had says, oh, yeah, I think Paul was trying to get in touch with Ben Gleeson. He says, oh, sure, I'll poke him. And he did, so he rang me up. Amazing. So they're all nice connections. You've got to love Ireland for that, yeah, though, don't you? Small world. And so he says, oh, I'm going off to shoot this Italian movie, this movie with Gangs in New York. He says, yeah, we're going to pitch the show in Berlin. He says, and I says, oh, Jesus, could we come up to you today and record it? And he says, fair play, sure, come on up. So we did, and he did us a nice... He did us. He doesn't normally do voiceovers, but he did. He 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 narrated a poem. So we had a poem on our all our animation. So it was a poem he wrote that the lads wrote that one of the monks might have written, right? Imagining what the one of the monks who did the so he narrated that, and we used this over in in the pitch. But on the way on the bus, I met a producer called Didier Brunet, who was a. Uh, I didn't know at the time, but he was the biggest animation producer in France. He had, he had just just in the middle of making Belleville Rendezvous, which became ultimately got nominated for an Oscar. And he'd made this amazing short film called The Old Lady and the Pigeons, which I loved. Mm. So I knew at least if somebody was doing something that we thought was great, then they could be a good partner. So I just overheard him on the bus saying they needed animators, because I was always pitching for work too for the studio to feed the studio. And so I annoyed him, he got the face and then when I poked, I interrupted him and this guy from the BBC says, look, we've got loads of animators in Ireland, she'll come and we'll try to f try to do that cycling sequence for you with all the cyclists. Because yeah. I just overheard him. And he went, okay, and he said, we're pitching a show, will you come? Uh, we're pitching something, he says, okay, I'll come. And so he came and they were the only two important people that was... There was lots. There was a few people in the room, but they were the he, they were the only two important people. It was a guy from the BBC, and 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 the very right after at lunch, he says, "I want to co-produce your movie." And so he kind of talked to me, and he could hardly speak English. So what was lovely was then even after he says, "All my French friends are in the other thing, but in the hallway we'll pitch it again." And uh, so I just did it in reverse, and 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 I pitched the whole film again to all these French distribution companies uh, in the hallway, and he translated in France, in French, tried, tried to do it. And then we just said, sound, thanks. And he went away. And How it still took us like five years to get it together from that moment about, or four years maybe, to get all the money together because he was in the middle of that film. But we kept in touch and we found a Belgian partner. So I discovered how you pull, like, I think at the time it wound up being um, 8 million euro 
to make a feature film using France, Irish and Belgian. Amazing. Money, and just put it together. So learning absolutely yeah. on the hoof, on just the hoof, doing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, go, and continuing to go to those markets. And that's what I always used to say to young producers is that even if you have nothing to sell, go, go and, and show understand up. It. Go and show up and meet people. Because then when you do have something, you'll know some people and you'll, you'll be able, you'll have that network. Um, and it's fun doing that stuff as well, if you can manage to afford it. Uh, to get over there, which you can scrape money. We, yeah. myself and Tom, used to go sometimes and Ross. You can always make sandwiches at we, night we, for the we'd people coming out of the pub. Yeah, we'd be camping <laughs> out or in the same room and <laughs> for years and years and years until till we finally, I think there was a point myself and Tom wound up at the Oscars. It was funny. We automatically went up to the same hotel room and we realised we had two rooms in this fancy hotel and they booked us two rooms and we. Were, I was there suffering from Tom's uh, 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 insomnia. <laughs> And uh, it's, 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 and uh, then we realised we had. What are we doing? We're, we're older now. Why are we sharing rooms still? And we found out uh, they had given us two rooms. We had a lovely. I had a lovely we other room there. So we just weren't used That's to that. Very but funny. it was a kind of we realised. Oh look, from now on, let's we we can afford to get our own rooms. Let's mind ourselves. Yeah, let's mind ourselves. Yeah. So uh, there's so much to talk about mm. there, and and I suppose um, Kells was the beginning. Mm. Talk to me about the chronology. What happened from then? And, and uh, you know, very, very quickly, the brilliance of your work got recognised. Yeah. Yeah, we were very... Well, I mean, we really... Uh, the, I think the thing was it was secret because uh, creatively, we wanted to do something different. I think we realised if we tried to imitate the... C a lot of the time... Even when Secret of Kells came out, there was a lot of CGI was coming in. Pixar was doing amazing stuff with Toy Story and then... Um, DreamWorks were doing these amazing CGI movies, which cost so much money, really. And and uh, a lot of Europeans were trying to copy that. And we says, look, we love drawing and we love illustrations, we love uh, comics and stuff like that. So we, we stuck to our guns. And Diddy was a big help there, he says, because we even we tried to do classical Disney mm. 2D. And he says, why do you make it look a lot more like the actual book of Kells itself, and which was very flat. So we drew more inspiration from the the thing we were drawing from, which Amazing. was the, the, the Book of Kells. So that helped us create a kind of unique look. And I think if you're a small independent producer of anything, really, uh, film or product or anything, and you least look interesting, you'll stand out even if you haven't got the big marketing budget. So if, you're, if you do something... So obviously, we did go for trying to get nominated for an Oscar. I always thought with the new animation category for feature films... They're, all, they're going to always pick an indie. They're, they're like, they're, it can't all be the studio films. Mm -hmm. So I want to get the indies too. And the people who nominate those, the Academy who nominates uh, feature films, they're for animators themselves. The people who nominate, they're also animators. And a lot of them old guys who are mm -hmm. 2D guys. So we went to LA and we got offered to screen it at a, an event in November. Um, we had it with another uh, distribution company who wasn't coming in with the, with the money. So we got out of that deal. And our sales agent, who we met, that Didi and you, uh, hooked us up with G Kids, which is this guy who wanted to distribute independent films but had only run a New York Kids Film Festival. So we partnered with him quickly on the guarantee that he would at least try to qualify us for, for, the, for the Oscars, which only meant you had to screen it for a week in LA. You know, just the film had to be in a cinema screen. So it was doable. It was doable. Um, but also important to uh, 
go there and talk about it. So we went and we've, and the, what's lovely about over there, they're very welcoming. I mean, the studios, we went to Pixar twice. I screened Secret of Kells twice in Pixar there to their own animators. We screened it in Disney and DreamWorks. We just got in touch with them or, and we found some champions in LA who really loved the film. And so they would share DVDs with their friends. So just grassroots, very grassroots kind of like. With the people who mattered. With the people who, who lived in LA who were working in the industry who said, Jesus, this should get. And back then, they all had to go to a cinema and watch one film after the other. So they might have watched, like, Secret Cows after watching maybe The Smurfs or something, and then go, well, look, if I'm going to mark something out, I want to give this one a chance. So that, so we got, first of all, recognised by the industry we were in, by the animators, and then, so the nomination was also a very good marketing tool. So two kids then were able to do a good DVD deal with um, Universal. Were you growing to love the art of negotiation at this stage? It seems to me that this was bubbling up. Not so much. I'm terrible. I don't think I'm a very good negotiator. I'm, I'm, I'm probably a better uh, salesperson. I realise I'm not a bad salesperson. I'm quite good at pitching stuff. Uh, we have to pitch all the time. So yeah. I would, I, you, you go to MIPCOM you're ha every half hour for five days, you're pitching you're new people. And I got a buzz out of that. And I got an uh, enjoyment out of meeting new people as well. Um, and it's like, it was, that's when kind of myself and Tom realised the differences between us a little bit. And I f was a bit reluctant because I, I was missing drawing. But at the same time, I could see, oh, I can be useful doing this. So I remember the first time we went to MIPCOM and myself and Tom walked into the place, which is a giant uh, building of people selling TV shows. Like you got a Warner Brothers booth and you got the big ones like Disney and Warner Brothers on the top with fancy suites of this big, and out the balconies of this big building, and then you get in the bunker, you have everybody else. So you have like small distributors from all over the world, like everywhere. And so it's quite daunting. And so you go into the room and you see animation everywhere and you see all these like TV series, 52 episodes and all this sort of stuff. And Tom, Tom would like, oh my God, look at all that crap. How are we ever going to make a, how are we ever going to, how are we ever going to make a dent? And I says, yeah, Tom, look at it, it's all crap. We'll make yeah. a, we're bound to be able to make an impact. So I had a, quite an opposite, so view, and we've leveled out over the time. I was quite the optimist, optimist and he was the pessimist. We've leveled out a little bit now, it's great. But um, so he, he was great at being a director and leading teams and creative and a great director and a brilliant visual person. And so I decided, well, I should try and now go get the, do the sales and try and get us the money. And then, so while all that is happening, the work is happening back home, the film is happening anyway, yeah, as, yeah. as the funds are being raised. Yeah. And, all of a sudden then, not so all of a sudden, you're nominated for an Oscar. Mm -hmm. And that is the beginning. Yeah, that, and we, you know, it, it didn't really make an impact the first time. Uh, I think what happened was we got lots of, we got lots of people like agents in, in CAA and all that, like wanting to represent us, but they didn't quite understand that, like the, for them, an Oscar nomination for somebody like Tom, because it was Tom who was nominated as a director, uh, they just wanted to give him millions of bucks to produce, to go direct a film in LA in a studio. I can get you a job here, but Tom wasn't that interested in that, thankfully for me too. But Tom just continued to want to make his own movies, like he had Song of the Sea now, boy, mm. germ germinating already. So, but, so trying to figure out how they could help us was hard. And at that time, we had just done a TV series as well called Skunk Fu. It was like two buses coming at once. We spent five years trying to raise money for a TV series where we did the same thing, cartoon movie, pitch the show, and, and all of a sudden we made, we went from 15 people to 75 to make the feature and the TV series, co-productions as well. There was about 200 really on the film across the country. But 
we reached a black hole, so we dropped off after we finished Secret of Kaz, and even when we were when when we, the nomination happened, we were in a crisis meeting because we had no money left, and we were letting everybody go, and then we got nominated, which was fine. So then we, could, <laughs> we were trying to figure out how can we afford to get over there to even take advantage of this. So and, we, and so why was that? Why? why well, we you, made a big mistake. <laughs> uh, we we uh, we didn't have any slate lined up. We just thought because. Uh, we had some ideas about what to do next, but the making two things at the same time, like a TV series and a feature, both at the same time with uh, dramatically moving into a new building, meant we were consumed with just making those things. Uh, so we didn't have uh, another thing lined up in time to roll into. So that crew could roll it. Now over the last like six years, we have that down. So we always have at least three three productions in the pipeline. So when one finishes, there isn't a big gap from the next one. There might be another production happening here, so people can spill into that. Or So that took a long time to figure out. But, you, but because we, we didn't, we weren't really, still weren't really well known, and uh, we did have ideas, other ideas for TV series and a feature, but it just takes so long to raise the money that you, you can never underestimate that. So we had just a big gap, and then we had to do more commercials again. Well, that was that was my next yeah, question. Yeah. There, there must have been commercial work happening yeah. at the same time. So we always had a little bit of service work happening. Um, so we would do bits of movies or commercials, or um, we might co-produce another movie. Somebody might have a movie that's happening in Germany, and they want 10% from us, and we would try to raise 10% of that money using our UK Irish contacts and some money from maybe Screen Ireland, taking advantage of the... Uh, the tax uh, rebate that, that's And then here, execute. And execute that, but it never makes you enough money. So he, here's mm. the thing. Um, mm. Certainly as somebody who has always been uh, involved in creative industries, we've got three three artists, essentially, one reluctant producer within them. And you said earlier, we love drawn, mm. which sounds like the T-shirt for the whole yeah, company. Yeah. It, it must be very difficult to, to value the thing that you love doing the most. Yeah, and, and I think we undervalued ourselves for a long time. Now, maybe that's part of the market too. I mean, maybe it wasn't that a lot of, like, I mean, the media goes in bubbles a little bit too. Like, I mean, at the moment, it's amazing. There's so much content being produced. But, you know, there wasn't a great deal of people doing stuff, but there was successful companies around Europe that were earning money and doing well. But I think, in general, I think... Um, we, we didn't value ourselves. Also, we were a creatively-led company, and we only really cared about, as long as we got paid, we were fine. But we were treading water a lot. And, so and it sounds like you hadn't really figured out how to... Make a profit on How it. to captain the ship yeah, at that stage. Yeah, yeah. We could buy, raise money for the films. We certainly had contacts that would get us to work, but we weren't getting paid enough. And I think there was a certain point, I was talking to my brother, and uh, he says, in my business, we're always the highest bidder. Like, we're always way above the last person and that's because we think we're very good at what we're doing right and they were so and he was like consult leisure management consultancy company you know in, in England and uh, we're always the highest bidder and we might lose lots of jobs but we the get the good ones. The value of the ones we get yeah. are worth it. Yeah yeah so we get the good ones and also the clients are better because they're not micromanaging you because geez if we're giving you all this money to do something we're not going to spend more money of our own time and our own time you know, making micromanagement. So we started, we had a bit of a change. I says, look, when we're doing a budget next, just add some add some more onto it that values what we're doing. And also you ever say, look, if you give us this money, you won't have to worry so much about creative retakes. We'll be able to do them to, up to a certain level and you're going to have something great. But we don't get out of bed 
unless we're getting this. That kind of way. So we just valued our own uh, ability to do uh, do things. And then, so we did less work and, and the service work became more valuable. So we did then a strategic plan after doing it. We did a course. And you led that? Yeah, I went on this course, Screen Leaders uh, uh, course. I'd done a couple of them, but uh, we did one. And we, we finally, we, instead of doing the strategic plan ourselves, because there's three of us, the Tom and Nora would come up to some sessions. And uh, then we brought in a consultant and he literally did our strategy. And what we came to was that we just need to have the pipeline filled. Mm. So not worry so much about it being service work or our own work. As long as it was paying okay and the work was interesting. And funnily enough, the work that paid more was more interesting, creatively as well, usually. Um, so we, we, we lost jobs. That surprises meant, me that yeah, you say yeah. that. Yeah, but also the ultimate goal is to be doing our own IP, which we're at now, where there, the, there's... And maybe 160 people in the company and growing, but we're only doing stuff that we've come up with inside the studio, which is great. That's where we've wanted to be. So no more service work? We're not doing any more service work. Although up until like a year ago, we are, but we started another company to do the service work in partnership with uh, Canada. Company in Canada, so, yeah. so we kind of, I'm, I'm kind of still ha able to have the conversations. with You can people. still make the margin, but you don't yeah. have to do the work. Well, we don't, we don't take any money out of that company at all. That's its own studio. But else, the part of that is, I mean, maybe it'll it'll generate, maybe it'll personally mean something to us down the line. But that wasn't the point of it. Okay. The point of it really was to to keep animators in Kilkenny, and also not to be having to turn down interesting work from the likes of like you know Amazon or Disney. Okay. Or Apple, and also keep those relationships going where they might necessarily want have the have the bandwidth to take on your TV series, but they need their you they need our help to make stuff. So is that yeah. a separate company owned that's, by? Yeah. That's owned by Cartoon Saloon and Mercury Filmworks in Canada, and it's called Lighthouse. So that has seventy seven people there now, and that's just finished its first show for Amazon onto its second series for Amazon, and we'll be doing another really interesting series. Funnily enough, by the one of the creative directors in there, her own pitch uh, might become the next show there too which is really interesting so it just means we have Cartoon Saloon and, and another studio and it means that we're, when we were in Kilkenny we were kind of the only place people could work we weren't getting many Irish people coming down from Dublin we were getting loads of Europeans because we're kind of the 2D place yes. in Europe 2D draw so we get loads of amazing artists from Europe but because there's so much work there's a few studios in Dublin hard to convince somebody to come down from their apartment. Yes. Although it's cheaper. But we have done now because there's more... Now we have two studios. So yes. it means that when a project might finish after two years in one, they have plenty of time to figure out what might be going on next door or vice versa, you know. So they could... So now we're... Now we've... we've over the last three or four years, we're permanently employing people. So, like, there's people... We, we aren't, we aren't um, hemorrhaging people because a project might stop. So you have that pipeline of opportunities yeah, yeah. So in two different areas. Says, the, the big plan is to always have enough work that we can keep training people. So so now we have people who are supervising animators or head storyboard people who are now learning how to be directors, who are directors, and also on the production side as well. So how did the uh, relationship with Entrepreneur of the Year come about? Uh, the uh, I think somebody in... Kilkenny must have put us forward. Maybe somebody in Ulsterbank or something suggested us. And then we got an interview. We got asked to, would, would, would we mind doing an interview? I mean, I suppose I never saw ourselves as entrepreneur. I always find that word kind of strange. It sort of feels like um, you're, an entrepreneur starts businesses and, and sets them up. 
And so I, I was worried about that because I'm a reluctant producer for a start. Mind you, this from the man who made mm. sandwiches to sell to, to yeah, club yeah. glowers. Yeah, that, but that's that, pretty that was entrepreneurial. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I think most yeah. entrepreneurship starts yeah. from des desperation. Yeah. We, did spot, we did spot a niche in the market there, actually, because there was no places open. That's true. But uh, the... the uh, but yeah, so no, but then I, I did. I said, oh, this would be interesting. I thought it'd be a great opportunity to learn stuff and meet people who are not from animation. But uh, I, I thought entrepreneur to me was a lofty title. So I was a bit reluctant to think. But, but you know, it's, it just means somebody who starts businesses and, and tries to create something that might not have been there before. Uh, so um, I understand it better now. And I really appreciate <laughs> are, all are the Are you people. at one with yeah. the entrepreneurship <laughs> title now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, the, the, but still, it's pretty much a business that's, the business we're in is very driven out of a creative desire to just tell stories, really. And I think, uh, I'd not, and, uh, but, and, and I, we set up a business, myself and Tom and Nora, in order to do that, really. Well, this is interesting, because again, back to this area of creativity, I don't I don't know if it's possible to set up a business primarily as a commercial entity using creative mm. arts. Mm -hmm. I think it almost has to come the other way around mm. that you believe you've something of creative value yeah. and 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 you start from there. Yeah. And, and the model and the success and the revenue has to come out yeah. of that you need if, the if the product power. is right. I, mean, I think if you're a business person coming in, oh, look, I'd love to start an animation company. Very hard for them to survive because it takes so, it takes so long to get a foot in and to get known that you just have to be passionate about what you're doing because I think um, we notice that the most of the creatively driven uh, studios that are around the world making films are the more successful ones, I would say, are ones that were started by creators yes. who have a desire to tell stories and make things. That's the whole point. And they only draw in their crew because they also want to do that. And then they, and as long as you can earn money and you can grow the business or, or sustain, as we're trying to do now, bring up new people to be those directors, you need to have the money coming in. And you know, and you can bring in the budgets and do it and you make a little bit of a margin so you can invest in your equipment and all that's great. But then a lot of people, sorry, get into the business to to make toys and do that, and they can come in and a kind the merchandise of merchandising thing, and they can come in in a cynical way, and they can raise money and stuff, and it can be a disaster. The big successes like Peppa Pig, where they were creators who told great stories, they told Peppa Pig was really really good, and naturally out of that, they saw business opportunities to do toys. Because after it was widely seen by many eyeballs around the world, they were able to create the It had toys. already connected. Yeah. So our next, I mean, that's what we're doing next. We are, we just hired a head of licensing, actually, for the company. And we've got an interesting partnership we may be doing with a, a big uh, agency in, from Japan. Um, because we have roots in Japan and China and US, we have a few markets where we, we're pretty good with the movies. They're successful. <laughs> that has to be the understatement of the yeah. interview. A well, few markets that we've had success yeah, with the, the movies. The funny thing is, we're still fairly niche you know, we're not like a big Pixar or Disney, but like, so niche in America is quite big and niche in China is quite big too. So Puff and Rock, the TV series, went on 10 cent there. And I think after two months, it was seen over 100 million times. That's unbelievable. But, uh, so they have it as a special VIP show. But we don't get money for that. We get bumps after. So, so they paid the licensing and they have it on the show. So because of that, the partner we have in China was like, geez, we got to do something else. So we're going to make a Puff and Rock movie and they are going to try to do some licensing first in, in Asia. 
you know, around trying to do a movie, just to have something else. So we'll see how that goes. It's very, it's very tricky, the licensing part. But we do it in small ways where we have limit, like limited edition prints for like, you know, $500 or 400 euro um, of the movies, which people buy mm. on shop, but it's still quite small. But it still is bringing in a bit of, it's brought in enough licensing business, which seems like free money to us. Well, it's passive, passive income yeah, compared yeah. to which sitting is, down and creating which is, the Which has paid for a few salaries and, and allowed us to hire a, now a permanent head of licensing to just grow that. That's an exciting phase mm. to be going into mm. now. Mm-hmm. What, what piece of work are you most proud of? Um, I'm pretty proud of the breadwinner because that was a challenge to to finance. I mean, if you think about it... Spoken like ele- a producer. The, the elevator pitch is, it's about a young girl living under the Taliban in Afghanistan who's not allowed to go outside. And it's for kids, you know. So it was seen by so many kids and it got nominated for an Oscar again. But And we were able to get like... You know somebody like Angelina Jolie, which helped with the with bringing in some more people for the money. So I'm pretty proud that we did that Amazing. because I think it was um, after after Secret of Cows and Song of the Sea, there was a lot of temptation to do certain types of other movies and people people saying offering um, deals to do other kinds of things. But he says no, no, let's uh, you know first of all. The, the book is brilliant and it's a story that kind of matters in a sense. Mm. You know, you, you want to, and then Nora, Nora um, myself and Jerry, I didn't mention Jerry Sheeran, he was the other big change, was the guy we asked advice from in the beginning after we did our strategy, we realised it's about time we got a managing director who He's the guy. is very comfortable around money and very good at negotiation and the business affairs side and legal that's also got very good taste in films and also has experience from studios. So Jerry was like brilliant, it totally changed, took a load off myself, Tom and Nora, so we could focus on the development and the production, which led us to The Breadwinner. And actually Jerry was the one who'd read the book and I started chatting and it was a random meeting with a guy in New York at Kids Screen. And he says, I'd like to pitch you this book. And so he pitches the story and says, God, I, I says, geez, I'd love kids to see that. I'd love some kids to see that. And he says, well, geez, why not? That's what we should try to do. And um, and we, so we said, well, Nora would be great now. So we took it home to Nora and she read it in one night. She says, oh, I, like she had co-directed with Tom and Secret of Kells. She, directed, she hadn't directed her own movie herself. So she said, oh, I'd love to direct this. So we, so we said, uh, we do that. So that's kind of how we operate now. We have a creative council. Sounds Interesting. like sounds like something out of the Lord of the Rings or something. But in either order that to or keep back this, to your socialist yeah. principles. <laughs> yeah. But we had to realise we have to have some criteria for why we're making the films in the first place. Because if it starts to become commercial, they're going to be shite. Sorry, pardon my language. That's okay. They're going to they're they're going to just turn into like. So is the creative council a, a decision making matrix? Yeah. This fits the principles. So we, we kind of came up with sort of criteria, like because I was spending time in festivals, going, "Oh, that's a really interesting project. This be really. We need to get money. That could be." Good. But I was a bit like a busy bee, yeah. And that is focused. To I needed it. focus. So critical thinking on what we do yeah. next. So we had some criteria we came up with after. We we have to have creative control in Carson uh, We have to be able to at least decide who the director is. Um, we have to have a over 50% creative control of the project. Or uh, maybe not the money, but at least be a, of a decision-making... Over the outputs. Over the outputs of, 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 of the money. So business-wise, we have to have at least be a 50% partner. Creatively, we want this director in our studio, not around us. And this is turn, we've turned out loads of films. With this, and, I, and curiously, we're doing a beautiful... We're going about to do a beautiful film 
with Louise. And it came from a really amazing British director who's live action, really famous, um, has made blockbusters. And he approached us about a book he, he, I can't say who it is, unfortunately, yet. But he approached us about a book. We loved the book. And Louise loved it. And I had to have that conversation. Says, Look, we, we really want to do this, but we only work with our own directors. And this is like Louise. And he says, OK. Like, even as a co-director. So I showed him Louise's short film. And he went, of course, I don't want to direct it. I'll like, I'll like be a producer with you. She should direct it. So that's worked out. So Amazing. that's great. So, so, and so they, so he, so we're doing this really interesting project now, and it's a very good partners. So we, we have a criteria where direct, we have to have creative control. Um, we also, um, so we have this creative council. So when I, when somebody might pitch a bit in a book, generally speaking, we prioritize. A person's idea, like Louise's, if she came, she, because I could see that she was going to be a good director, I says, you pitch three ideas, we're going to try and do one of them. Um, she didn't quite know this, I said it the other day, she says, I'm going to pitch loads more. But uh, ideas are kind of worthless, you know, ideas don't mean anything. Ideas without execution are yeah. kind of, like, I mean, people pitch me ideas constantly and I says, look, um, I'm not going to spend five years making this idea unless the director who's going to executed and the team I know very well I know can do it so that's what we focus on so we so the team around the table I would trust to execute anything so I every month we bring in new projects or people might come up have mm -hmm. ones they've brought and if somebody around the table is passionate like really passionate like like seven eight nine years of their life worth passionate to put into it which I keep reminding them um, and one myself Tom or Nora also then we'll pursue it. Amazing. Mm. So it, at least it cuts out, it makes speeds things up very well. We're able to say no quickly to things and, it, and, and, it's, and that has worked on a couple of projects really successfully now that have all gone into production and happened fast. Yeah. You're a very different company now than you were when you started. Mm. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, uh, same, pretty much the same, uh, uh, the same people. But uh, the it's bit, but it's much it's just easier for us creatively having Jerry and having a whole uh, accounts team and having more partners worldwide having a few more people we can reach out to it's it's taken a bit of a load off us creatively so we can really focus on the creative side yeah yeah I have one last question mm. for you Paul and it really has to be a sort of a, a one line answer mm. why is Cartoon Saloon such a success? Uh, oh, I think the creative integrity and uh, um, that we um, love the stories we're telling. I think it's important. Sto like we focused on the stories that matter, you know. And to us. the We Love Drawing t-shirt. Oh, we love drawing. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> yeah. Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much and uh, can't wait to see the next film. Okay, thanks very much. Thanks for listening to Joe's Architects of Business in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Thanks to all the team here at Maximum Studios and of course to my guest, Paul Young. If you haven't already done so, please do subscribe to get a brand new episode of this fabulous show into your feed for free every fortnight. I'm Sonia Lennon. Thanks for listening and talk soon. The Architects of Business on Joe in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Telling the inspirational stories behind Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs.